going to start this morning in the Word of God. Anybody excited about the Word of God? Yeah. Let's go. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. This is not John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. Um, honestly, we'd probably get further along in our faith if more people memorized 1 John 3.16. This was a really good verse. This is a good section of Scripture. Familiarize this, yourself with this. Memorize this. And it says this. This is how we know what love is. Anybody wonder what love is? What is real love? What is love? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister, it's not sinful to have material possessions. Right. Hey, you're, you're going to get material You're going to get stuff. Stuff's going to come. Stuff is a part of life. But if you have material possession and you see someone, a brother or sister, in need, but you have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. It's actually your actions that determine not just is it truth, but do you belong to it? It's what you do with your life that determines you actually belong to the truth and how we get to set our hearts at rest in his presence. We talked extensively last week about the state of a heart. What is a heart? The core of who you are. And so this is going to be the backdrop of our sermon today and our, really our topic today is going to be this section of Scripture. And, and the author here begins to describe that if somebody were to grasp what love really is, like if you were to understand love through the picture of communion that we just had, this idea that Father God sent his son to die on a cross to save me, lay down his life for me, if that is a picture of love, how much more should I give of myself to other people? That if I'm to understand love, and I'm believing that this is the truth, like I'm actually betting my life on the good news, the gospel message of Jesus, subsequently I should then produce good fruit, and with that fruit I should bless people, I should love people, I should care for other people. And I think it's really important to ask the question, See, this, because the reality is, how many of you know at times that's easier said than done? Like, the concept of generosity is awesome. I've never had anybody be like, man, the concept of being a generous person, I'm against that concept. Like, I just think selfishness, I mean, people outside of the faith, they're like, man, the idea of generosity is kind of cool. Like that idea just, it has this sort of appeal when you sort of break it down or, or talk about it or, or hear a story of somebody who's wildly generous. We're like, wow, did you hear what they did? Like it's really impressive. No one's against generosity, but then it's a whole other thing when it's time for you to serve. It's a whole other thing when it's time for you to give. It's a whole other issue when you're met with a need that you can meet and you have to make the decision of what you're going to do about that. You see, I think an important question this morning is what is your motivation in producing good fruit with your life? So if the goal is to produce good fruit of an appetite series, the goal is saying, hey, I actually want to produce something. I want good to come out of me. I want the good to come up out of my heart like we read last week. 
I don't want evil to store up in my heart so that evil is produced. I want good to be stored up in my heart so I can produce good things for the world. What is your motivation in doing so? What's driving you? And this text is crystal clear on what a motivation should be. And there are also many other scriptures that share around the idea of using our blessings to bless others. That in fact, blessings really, in a walk, in a Christian walk, they're not really about you. It's not really just so you can be blessed. Like that's, this is not, the premise is not the point. And so it's this challenge of saying, hey, am I actually going to use what I have in my life to feed other people? Essentially, is our motivation for producing good things in our life, feeding others with our fruit. Like, are other people the target? Yeah, good. Or is, are we the target? Are we at the center of our motivational core or are other people? So let's look at verse 16 first. Again, this is 1 John chapter 3 again. Verse 16 said this, This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's saying there's a natural response here. Like, like it's not really up for debate. If I believe this to be true, then there's this actual action that needs to take place. Otherwise, essentially, let's just be really honest. If I believe this to be true and I accept this sacrifice from Jesus and I I use it to my betterment, how how many of you know, and don't point fingers at anybody here in this room or anything like that, but how many of you have known somebody who sort of uses the message of Jesus and understands, hey, I can leverage this to get ahead without ever actually serving him? You see, there's a lot of laws and truths and wisdom in the Bible that we see people leverage. I've seen a lot of self-help books quote scripture, but they don't credit the Bible, right? You, you can use these things to your advantage. You can actually say, I'll take some of the, 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 the teachings of Jesus, but I'm not going to take the sacrifice part. Right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay the central character of my narrative. My story, it's, it's about me, and so I'm going to stay in the center of it. But here we understand if we believe that he laid down his life for us, then we ought to lay down our lives for other people. And, and he goes on, obviously, to talk about even sometimes we, we, we read that, we go, oh, so I got to literally like, I, I got to go find someone that's about to get run over by a bus, push them out of the way and get hit by the bus. Like that's what he's talking about. I got to go find someone that's in imminent danger and I got to go die. No, no. What does he actually go into? He begins to then talk about material possessions. He begins right. to talk about what we do with what we're blessed. Laying down our lives looks a lot of different ways according to the author. But here's a truth that I pulled from this in verse 16 in my own life is this belief that self-service is not biblical service. Hmm. So if it's a self-serve motivation, like, like I'm doing this because of what it could do for me. Like, like I'm in it for me. I'm the central character here and, and I'm at the core If self-service is my goal, I actually don't believe that that is a biblical picture of service. Hmm. Let me explain. Because let's be honest, self-serve is amazing. You get to do it on your own terms, at your own timing. There's no slow store clerk to soak up all your time. Like you can go as fast as you want. You can cruise through it. Self-serve ice cream is brilliant. (laughs) Like you can make as much as you want. 
you can all, how many of you know with self-serve ice cream, you always end up with waste, right? Because you're like, oh, keep going. And you don't eat it, but you don't care because it was self-serve. Kind of had this unlimited feel. Come on, that's the only win of Pizza Ranch. Like the pizza's not good, but they got self-serve ice cream. Come on. You know you're putting it right on that cactus pizza or whatever they call it, that dessert pizza. You're just, I know you. And you're lactose intolerant just like me, but you're going for it. It's worth it. I paid a lot of money for this crappy self-serve ice cream. Pizza Ranch has us worked over, people. Self-serve. But if it's about self, is it really service? Are you really, is it even possible? Is that really service? You know, even, even recently, I, I, it's so funny, I have, you know, church language in me. I've been building church my whole adult life, and uh, my son is, he's in hockey with the St. Francis hockey program, and this is typical with a lot of sports programs where you have to put in parental volunteer hours, where it's like they actually take a check, right? You have to write a $500 check, and they take it, and they say, if you put in 12 hours of volunteer service, we won't cash the check. But if you don't put in 12 hours, we will cash $500. I'm like, 12 hours, 500 bucks, I'm putting in my time. Like, how many are you making? Like, I am not going to let that check cash. And and so uh, I, we actually put in our first hours. We signed up to serve in the concession stand. Renee and I, we were going to do it together. And, um, and we were, we were going to serve in the concession stand. We are like, oh, we look for the longest block of longest block of time. We found a five-hour block of time on the varsity and JV night. We're like, we're just going to get this thing done. If we both serve together, that's 10 hours, and that's 10 of our 12. Well, the kids got sick, and so Renee had to stay home, and my mom was going to be the babysitter, so I called up mom. I'm like, mom, you're coming to work in the concession stand with me. Let's do this. Like, come on, you ready to make some popcorn and some pretzels? I'm going to be really honest with you. I thought we were going to show up and be on a team. Like, there'd be somebody, like, telling us what to do. Like, I don't know how to make soft pretzels. I don't know how to work their popcorn. And we get there, and there's a lady there, and she's getting everything set up. And we're like, great, what do you need us to do? She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how can we help? She goes, oh, you're not helping. You're running this. I just got it started for you. I got a different game at the Super Rink. I'm out of here. And we're like, excuse me? She goes, and she literally looks at us. She goes, have you never done this before? We're like, no! No! <laughs> She goes, and you signed up for a varsity night? Do you know it's, it's, it's seniors night? Do you know how busy it's going to be? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know any of these things. I just saw on the website. So she gives us a five-minute crash course on soft. I mean, we, we, they have everything. They have a full POS system. I have to learn the POS system. They give us a cash box. I'm like, do you need, like, an ID to, like, make sure I don't steal? Like, what do you need? This is crazy. And we have to work this concession stand on a whim. And, she, and we say, okay, well, how long do we have to get ready? She goes, oh, it's right now. And she flies open the gate and there is a line of like 30 people and we're like okay and for five hours straight it was just non-stop work right and I had this moment where you're like man I feel pretty good at the end of that like we did work we helped man that felt pretty awesome and even when another mom came up who sometimes worked back there I found myself saying like oh have you served back here before and she looked at me weird and I'm like I mean volunteer because really it's a volunteer moment but how many of you know it was a self-serving volunteer hours there's a $500 check of leverage (laughs) making sure that I put in that time 
And my son gets to be a part of a hockey program. We're getting something in return. So as much as it felt like serving, is that really serving? No, there's something in it for me. It's, it's really about my son. Yeah. It's really about me. It's really about getting those hours. It's really about my bank account. I don't want that $500 check cashed. That's not service. That's self-service, but that's not biblical service. That's not a picture of what it looks like to lay down your life. I wasn't laying my life down for the community making some popcorn, but it can feel like it is. So there's this reality that you can... So you, you can't sacrifice something that costs you nothing. It needs yeah. to cost you something. It yeah. needs, and, and it needs to not be about you. It, it's, it's got, it should hurt a little. <laughs> there should be a cost. This type of service, this type of love should cost you something. Mm. And keeping all the good fruit to yourself is always going to lead to misalignment. So maybe you've been serving Jesus for a while and you've learned how to get those appetites right and changing your daily consumption and producing some good fruit. And then essentially you're like, sweet, I made something. Now I just get to eat it. I'm just going to eat all of the fruit that I produced. I'm just going to store up for me and my own. I'm going to worry about me and my own. I'm not going to be about giving to other people. And this is where we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees get it wrong in the New Testament. Another extremely famous text that we'll read throughout the year multiple different times always because it's so vital is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And this is the story, and Jesus is involved here, and he sa it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they, the Sadducees had been asking him questions and trying to debate with him, and Jesus was working them over, and he silenced the Sadducees, so the Pharisees got together. They're like, this is our chance. We're going to stump Jesus when the Sadducees couldn't. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The core of who you are, everything. Love God. This is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like it. Essentially, you can't have one without the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here Jesus gives us this summary, this idea that if I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, if I give him everything I have out of that, you're going to begin to produce something. And if when you start to produce something, you don't understand the value of loving your neighbor as yourself, you're going to get in misalignment. Or... If you're somebody who loves to serve others, but you don't really love God, you're also going to get out of misalignment. And what I've seen play out in my life and in the lives of others that have at times sort of swung the pendulum to say loving God only or serving others only and not living in the tension of both is that when you try to love others without serving God, it produces bitterness so if I try to love others and I'm just always serving and I'm showing up and th this is where you start becoming that grumbler, that mumbler, here it goes again. Here's another thing I got to do. Now I'm going to show up and do this and I can't believe, you know, Pastor Sony's asking me to serve again and I can't believe here I am. I'm do doing the thing and I'm, you know, and you start to get that bitterness. Like, like what, what's going on? Like, wow, I guess I'm just always the one they call on. I'm, I'm that person, I guess. That's just who I am. And that person who is serving, you become 
bitter because all of a sudden it's like feels like it's costing you everything, but you're not getting something back in return and you just start to drain out who you are. And in the same way, trying to love God without serving others produces arrogance. And this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. They were working so hard at accomplishing the law, but they were so terrible at loving anybody else. You see them mistreat everybody around them. They turn a blind eye to needs. Right, this is depicted the most vividly in the story of the Good Samaritan, that Jesus, the story that he creates of the religious leaders passing by on the other side, right? That if we actually are so consumed with trying to love God and let everybody know about our fasts and how spiritual we are and how holy we are and how devoted we are and, and look at our faith, it actually starts to build arrogance. It starts to become yeah. about you. Either way, if it's one or the other, you will become the central focus, whether it be through bitterness and offense of always feeling called on, always feeling used, always feeling like being the one who's always got to help, or it's going to produce some sort of like arrogance because you're so pious, you're so set apart, and it creates this, uh, this view of yourself that now all of a sudden you start to elevate yourself above the people that God's calling you to love, and you start to see yourself, I'm, I'm a little better though. Like, if we're really being honest, like, I get it, God loves all people, but, like, I'm, like, here, though. Because, <laughs> like, come on. Do you see them? Right? We start to do this judgment, and we start to fall into that practice. But can I tell us, artists in the church cannot afford more critical spirits. Amen. We can't afford it. Say it. It's killing the American church how bitter and offended Christians keep getting at each other and subsequently all, everyone else. There, there is such an offense, there's such a, because it's swinging the pendulum back and forth between the two greatest commandments rather than living in the tension of both of them. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3. Let's read verse 17 and 18 again. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how could the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Another biblical principle that I pull from this that I see validated throughout the canon of Scripture is that talk is cheap. Well, real love is action. Talk is cheap. But real love is shown through the actions, through the service, through the help, through the selfless giving to other people. Are we doing it? Are we living it out? I'm going to be honest, like in life, I, I hate the feeling of being helpless. Like have you ever seen a need big in someone, in somewhere, maybe somewhere in the world, you, you discover that there's a need. There's a, a people group that has no clean water and you feel this sense of helplessness or you hear about what's going on in the world at large and the wars and everything. You're like, ah, I feel helpless. There's always things that we sort of can feel helpless from. And I'm just going to be honest, I hate feeling helpless. I like feeling helpful. <laughs> I do. It's a good feeling when you're like, oh man, I was able to help. I was able to do something about it. I, I like feeling helpful. But so often we start to look out and we start to see all of the brokenness of the world and it can feel sort of overwhelming. Yeah. And so we talk all about the need, but we don't actually get involved. 
and I'm feeling this right now in, in a unique way as well because uh, my daughter Willa, we, I coached her basketball uh, when we did in-house Andover basketball in the fall, and now she's doing school basketball through her school in the spring, and I'm no longer the coach. You want to talk about feeling helpless? Go from being the guy on the sidelines, coaching every single kid, to all of a sudden being the parent in the stands just watching the game. This is probably one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. I am that guy right now. I am that parent losing my mind. I had to take a lap, church. I had to excuse myself from the gym and take a lap and calm down over third grade girls basketball. Because I hate feeling helpless, right? I'm like, if I get too loud, I'm going to hear from the coach. Like, I got to shut up, Sam. Quiet your mouth, right? It's hard. I don't like seeing something happen and not know. I'm like, man, I can't assert myself. I can't do something. I, I can't get involved right now. I want to I get involved. And there's so much in the world sometimes that can feel broken. Your neighborhood even can feel so lost, so dark. Your family members could feel so um, hurt, so broken so lost, so dark. You can see the state of the world. And guys, we're going into an election year. Those are my least favorite years ever. Uh, they're going to come up with whole new things for us to divide and argue over. We'll see what they are. It'll be, you know, they'll come up within a couple months here and we'll all be arguing and debating and fighting and getting at each other's throats and get worked up into a frenzy and, ah! and everyone just loses their mind over problems they can't solve or fix. The root issue there is there's sort of this fear of helplessness. Yeah, because there's sure. something in humanity that yes. goes, I want to be able to help. I want yes. to be able to do yes, yes. something. And so even you might even read this and be like, well, what am I supposed to do, Pastor Sam? I'm so overwhelmed by the needs of the world at large. What does it mean to actually show my love with actions? But can I remind us, it's not likely, and I might be wrong, but I don't find it likely that we're going to stand before our Savior on Judgment Day, and be held accountable to how well we argued foreign wartime policies decided by political leaders. <laughs> I, I'm not sure we're going we're gonna to get up there and he's like, man, I really needed you to be a better comment warrior. Like, if you would have gotten the comments more, like, we could have really had some real change, guys. <laughs> like, you could have really done something, but you just stopped commenting. Like, wow, I, I told you to, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's going to be the main topic of our views on issues that we can't solve. I'm not sure I'm held accountable to that. What I do know I'm going to be held accountable to is how I treat the people that are my neighbors. Yes. How I treat the people around me. Mm -hmm. Am I feeding them the good fruit that my life is trying to produce? Am I actually telling them about Jesus and then showing them the love of Jesus? I am going to be held accountable to what I do within my sphere. The people I can love, the people I can care for, the moments I could be generous and give them a blessing, the moments I could do something, hmm. the moments you do walk on your way and out of nowhere you see a need that you know you can meet. Yeah. Now that's something I'm convinced I'll be held accountable to. Yes. The needs yes. I could have done something about. Did I have something to feed them and I chose to withhold that? That's not the love of Jesus. Yeah. It's not the love of Jesus. When I mean, we even see, right, the apostles say, hey, money I don't have, but what I do have is the power of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Mm -hmm. We always have, if we're producing good fruit, we always have something. Yes, true. We always have something. Hey, I, I can't write a check that solves all your financial problems, but I, I can listen. 
You want to tell me what's going on? Like, I'll listen. I can encourage. I can look you in the eye and make you feel like you matter. I can pray for you. There's always something. If you really love Jesus, there's something you can offer them, and it's Jesus. Right? He's the best fruit we could ever offer. What are you producing with your life, and are you offering it to other people? Are we getting involved? Psalm chapter 16, verse 5 through 6. You may not know this offhand, but you know it. Because often, if you ever hear people talk about, man, I, wanna, I want all that I have be given over to the Lord. Everything that I have, I want to be used for his kingdom. It really, this is a summary of that idea. And it says, you, Lord, are all that I have, and you give me all that I need. Can we talk about how powerful that first sentence is? You, Lord, are all that I have all that I have. That's not true as far as material possessions. The psalmist here is a wealthy individual, okay? Rich, but yet, Lord, you are all that I have because anything I have, you've given me. So I actually see you in my material possessions. I actually see you in everything I have. I see you in every relationship. I see you in every purchase. I see you in my house. I see you in my yard. I see you are all that I have and you give me all I need. My future's in your hands. How wonderful are your gifts to me? How good they are. You see, it's a lot harder to give away something that you credit to yourself. I did this. I made this. I earned this. This me, me, me. It's hard to give away something that would remove some of the credit that I might feel I'm owed. But if I give all the credit to God and I just see all of it as a gift, now all of a sudden, hey, what, what do I have? What can I do? What can I use? What can I give? How, how can I help people? Because I've worked hard to change my appetite. I've changed my consumption patterns. I've been producing good fruit, and it's all because of the grace of God that I have any of it, or any of it's possible. It's only by the grace of God that he took the heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh, and how wretched I am without him, but how blessed I am with him, and he gets all that I have, and so I'm going to offer whatever he asks me to do. I'm going to trust him with my future. I'm going to put it in his hands, and I'm going to believe how wonderful are his gifts to me, how good they are. If there is something in your life that you cannot afford to lose, then it has too much control. Good. Amen. Say it again. That's good. Right? We know it. You can have stuff, but stuff can't have you. We cannot become a slave to it. It cannot become an idol. So all the things we're producing, all the good stuff that we're producing in life, the fruit that's coming out of us, are we open-handed with it? Are we giving it away? And then the last point here, as the keys comes on up. Verse 19 tells us this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Again, this is going back to that verse 18 that talks about giving things to people, caring for people, sacrificing for people, loving people through action. It says this is how we know that we belong to the truth. I really feel like the, the climate in our nation, in our, in our world right now, is starting to begin to show the people who believe that Jesus is real compared to the people who believe that Jesus is real and so live out the truth of his word. There's something very different. It's one thing to go, yeah, I think Jesus is real. I think he came. I think God is real. I think God sent him. It's a whole other thing to start going, you know what? 
how I know that I belong to the truth is going to be seen in how I love other people. How I care for my brothers and sisters. How I care for people around me. How I love my neighbor as myself. I actually need to do this. Like, I know that verse. But do I do that verse? And then it says something. This, I've never caught this before. When we sacrificially love the way Jesus did, that's how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And so this thought rang through my mind all week as I just spent time, sat on that one statement, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This idea came to me, and I can't shake it, that you can't rest in his presence with a selfish heart. Because every time you come into his presence, he's got to work out your selfishness. Yeah. Every time you come into his presence, he's like, I, I, I got to deal with this. It's really hard to rest when it's all about you. You come to his presence and all you're thinking about is how hard the week was, how bad it was. Mm-hmm. You come to God and, and it's, you're coming to him with all your problems, all your issues. And he's like, oh my gosh, we're still at that point. It's really hard to rest in his presence when it's all about you. Yeah. At some point, he's like, man, I'm trying to get you to see bigger. There's more to life. There's more to the gospel. There's more to the good news. There's more to my mission. It's hard to rest in his presence when we have justified selfishness dictating our lives. Service to God requires submission to God. Have you ever felt the rest after a job well done? Like, have you ever had that moment where you sit back after you did something really, really hard and you go, I just did that. That's amazing. Maybe you even want to look at it. As a staff this week, we tackled the horrible project of cleaning out all the church storage rooms. It's horrible. It's like if you've never had to do it, church storage rooms are a nightmare. They just are. And every year they become more of a nightmare unless you handle it. And I, we cleaned them out so well that at the end of the day when all the staff had left, I literally had to go and just like walk and just like feel the peace of the storage rooms. I'm like in the storage rooms. <gasps> I felt so happy in our storage rooms. It's crazy. <laughs> but why? Because there's a part of us like we brought order to something. Yes. Does. We brought peace to this situation. It was chaotic. It was stressful. Now it's peaceful. And I just want to sit back and almost enjoy it. Have you ever had moments where you just feel that sense of a job well done? And ideally we feel something similar to that when we come into God's presence. It's like this space to rest our hearts with him, knowing that we gave him all we had in service of his kingdom. I just get to rest in your presence. I get to, I love that picture. We get to set our hearts at rest. There should be calm in his presence. Go, man, God, I've been serving you. James chapter three. Verse 13 and 16, who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Deeds done in humility. To be humble, you can't be at the center. So deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James is trying to get to the root of it. Envy, selfish ambition, that's where you find evil. Envy and, and, envy and selfish ambition are horrible motivations, but they're a constant 
battle for humans to stay away from, to not be jealous of what somebody else has, not compare our lives to other people's, to have selfish ambition, not be the center of our story. So how do we combat it? Well, James gives us the answer. Good deeds done in humility. How do we feed others, Pastor Sam? Good deeds done in humility. What's the summary of this message, Pastor Sam? Good deeds done in humility. And I think you could even summarize it another way. We could use Jesus' words to Peter in John chapter 21, that if you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, then feed my sheep. Do good deeds done in humility for other people. Feed my sheep. I read an entire sermon recently from Charles Spurgeon on feeding of sheep, and there's a section I want to read for us as we close. He said this. He said, the commission given to Peter, if you don't know the story, Peter's on the shore. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus came back, and three times Jesus asked him a new question of, do you love me? Peter said, yes, and he said, if you do, then feed my sheep. And this quote says this, the commission given to Peter proved how thoroughly the breach was healed how fully the sin was forgiven. For Jesus took the man who had cursed and sworn in denial of him and bade him feed his lambs and sheep. Oh, blessed work. Here's the good part. Oh, blessed work, not for yourselves and yet for yourselves. So I don't do it out of selfish ambition. I don't do it out of vain conceit. But let's be honest, that selflessness is going to find a way to bless you in a way you never even knew possible. So, so it's not of your, for yourselves, and yet it is for yourself. He that serves himself shall lose himself, but he that loseth himself doth really serve himself after the best possible fashion. So when you think about appetites, when you think about consumptions, when you think about producing good things in your life, check your motivation. Is this about good deeds done in humility? Is this about setting me in a place where I can be of service? Where's my motivation at? We said it, I asked you the question at the beginning. What is your motivation for producing good fruit? The motivation for health should be so we can heal others. The building of strength should be so we could lift others up. The goal of resources should be so we can bless other people. The drive for wisdom should be so that we could be a mentor. The pursuit for peace should be that we could be a uniter of other people. The motivation to produce good fruit is so we can feed his sheep. We need to have this motivation, that target. needs to be about something bigger than you. I've said it before, but if you, you are not enough motivation for yourself. If it's all about you, you're not going to stay the course. You're not going to stick to the fast. Even your fast you just had, it wasn't about you. Isaiah chapter 58 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. It's got to be about something bigger than us. So this week, what's one person you could feed? What's one thing you could do that will begin to remind you that the whole goal of this Christian life isn't just so we can be blessed, but it's so that we can be positioned to bless other people and to do good deeds in humility. Let's pray, church. Bow your heads all across the room. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to come, to hear from your word, and to hopefully be encouraged to walk out a little bit different than we came in, a little more focused on your mission, a little more focused on what you call us to. Jesus, I thank you for the work that so many have been putting in this series to change some consumption, to adjust to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for things of your kingdom. But God, would we not stop at loving you, but would we take on your mission of loving other people? Would we be missionally minded as a church to see every day people that we could love, that we could feed, that we could care for? Good deeds done in humility. Good deeds done in humility. So continue to do the heart work. And we're willing to do the hard work. We love you, Jesus. And everybody in the house loved him said. Everybody in the house loved him said.